Hello and welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett, and today I am so excited to be talking to Marnie Litfin. Marnie Litfin is a writer, comic, and MFA student in fiction at the University of Michigan. Their essays and short stories are published and forthcoming in Passages North, Smoke Long Quarterly, Phoebe, Foglifter, and elsewhere. Marnie reads Flash for Fractured Lit and tweets at Jetpack Marnie. Marnie is also my sweetie, and I'm sitting next to them in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where they live right now. Hi, Marnie. Hi, Val. Thanks for doing this on a Sunday night. Welcome. (laughs) You're welcome, and uh, yeah, welcome to sunny Ann Arbor. We're on the floor in my bedroom in my student apartment, where this is like um, the satellite home of our thruple. It's true. It's true. It is uh it is like a the little cloud. Thruple goes west. <laughs> Not too far west. No, no. Thruple. Far enough that it's a flight though. Yeah. Thru- thru- thruple goes midwest. <laughs> thruple goes midwest. And also it's like so nice here. Yeah. And you've done such a good job of of decorating since I last saw you when I dropped you off here with Carmen two yeah. months ago. I'm a good little decorator. Yeah. I have a cozy home. It's I'm been really cozy. I've been with Marnie for like uh, four days. Yeah, ish. And it's been nice like working from here and then like going out and to the little Ann Arbor shops and walks and pointing out trees to each other. Yeah, the air is really clean here. That's true. It feels cleaner. I don't know if that's true, but it does. It's, it's colder. <laughs> but maybe that's why it feels cleaner. Yeah. Um, Marnie has also, um, we generously agreed to be on the podcast and you'll definitely, Marnie's a writer, you should look them up, you should look up their work, um, you'll definitely hear from them in the future about stuff they're writing. Yes, I'm currently deep in a research hole that I cannot talk about yet because I have not yet crawled out the other side of it. I am deep in it as we speak and I cannot give a good report from it because (laughs) I don't actually know what's going to happen with the particular hole that I'm currently in. And Uh, there is a magic right about like working on something and being in the early stages and not wanting to. Yeah I would say that there's a really zany energy to it because I don't know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it, which is both thrilling and terrifying. Um, Because once I do know what I'm doing, it feels like I have a much more clear kind of like plan of attack for at least how I'm approaching my work and or just an understanding of why I'm doing what I'm uh, doing. But... um, Right now, I'm just sort of uh, punching my way out of the paper bag and just, uh, yeah, spending a lot of time reading weird biographies, watching very random YouTube videos, and trying to um, write this thing about this thing that I cannot yet talk about. But I'm very excited to talk about one of your holes. Oh, yeah. I got so many. Yeah. Love all of your (laughs) research holes. (laughs) Love your research holes. <laughs> I think you'll like this one um, in particular. 
because it involves a shared topic of interest for us, which is polyamorous dykes of the past. Really? Is yeah. that what we're talking about? They're they're in there. They're in there. Okay. Um, there, it's some particular dykes are involved. Okay. Of the past and. But not everyone behaves well. It's very messy. Okay. We're going to talk about a scandal. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and I I was going to talk to you about something called the Friday evening. Yeah, I didn't know what that was at all. And I, the more I started, like, reading about it, the more I was like, oh, this needs to be its own episode, and there's not enough about it online. Like, I have to read books. Um... <laughs> So the Friday evening will make an appearance, but this is actually about a scandal that happens much later, and it doesn't have a name. It's not like okay. So, so I'm calling it the Bryn Mawr scandal of 1904. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah, I'm super excited. I feel like it was probably the biggest scandal that happened at Bryn Mawr College in 1904, according to. Valhalla. <laughs> a thing we're going to have to really just work with and around is that there are a lot of people with similar names in this. Okay. So this scandal involves a Minnie, a Mamie, and a Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Do they walk into a bar? <laughs> they should. The Minnie is actually, I'm going to call her M. Carrie Thomas because that is what she went by most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll make it easier. So then we're only dealing with a Mamie and a Mary. And M. Carrie Thomas. And M. Carrie Thomas. Which is, I'm doing air quotes here, easier. We also have a Jesse and an Alfred, which is a little easier. Yeah, I know that. That's fine. <laughs> Do you know who M. Carrie Thomas is? No, I've never heard of M. Carrie Thomas. She was the first female dean and then college president of Bryn Mawr College. Oh, okay. She was also the like a prominent figure in a women's suffrage league. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was a big-time suffragist and college president. Okay. I first learned about her when I read a book that, like, kind of changed my intellectual life. Uh, What book? uh, To Believe in Women, What Lesbians Have Done for America by Lillian Faderman. Oh, I think I read parts of that in college. Yeah, I got it in college. I feel like Lillian Faderman was, like, a thing for lesbians in college. Yeah. She, did she also write... Odd Girls and Twilight Lovers. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I read that. I, wow, I can't believe I pulled that title out of Intro to Gender and Women's Studies in <laughs> 2003. Yeah, I read that one too. That one's cool. Yeah, I remember loving it. I remember I remember reading it for the first time and feeling like I was like looking at like a family photo album that had like been denied me my whole life. It felt really great to find it. Yeah. This one is like it's kind of an expansion on some stuff that's in okay. Odd Girls and Twilight Lovers. It specifically focuses on, like, um, this time period when 
a lot of lesbians were involved in women's colleges mm-hmm. and like the cultivation of women's education mm-hmm. and also a lot of lesbians who were involved in political reform and suffrage around the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was all before the 1920s. Uh-huh. Um, whereas Odd Girls and Twilight Lovers kind of like goes all the way through, I think. Um, yeah, it's a later time period. Yeah, it starts earlier and then it goes like, right. yeah. Um, yeah, this book is like everything for me. It's like why I'm writing the book I'm writing. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, because it's basically like, oh, not only like are lesbians in history, which is like a big mindfuck at the time that I read it first, but also like they've done a a lot they get you done oh, like yeah. they've done so much yeah lesbians are history anytime anytime a woman did something cool it's the first question <laughs> i know i'm asking yeah i remember when i found out that sally ride was a lesbian and i was just like of course she was <laughs> not surprised yeah color me not surprised yeah i think you told me that and i forgot and, yeah, hearing that, I'm not surprised either, but that's fucking cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and Carrie Thomas, famous lesbian. So, I told you she was the founder of Bryn Mawr, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, she's also very complex historically because, um, like many people who achieved things in history, she also was deeply prejudiced. Mm-hmm. And, I'm assuming she's white. Oh, yeah. And she's waspy white. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a Quaker. Okay, so extra white. Extra white. Um, Hated Jews. As as many of my fellow whites did. Yeah. um, Like, two biographies of her that I have read made a point of saying she hated Jews even more than other people of her time period. So that sucks. And also, she, like... Uh, was racist in other ways. It usually all goes hand in hand. Yeah, and none of this is surprising me. Yeah, yeah. So while so while she did a lot of great stuff for women's education, she also kept a lot of people out of women's education. Mm. So yeah, not someone to blindly admire, um, but interesting. So the Friday evening. Um, which I'm really excited about learning more about is a bunch of girls who were like maybe late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. who lived in Baltimore mm-hmm. and who were like, we are interested in bettering ourselves educationally because school is bullshit for girls mm-hmm. and we want higher standards. They were all rich, very rich. Um, they invited M. Carrie Thomas to join them. It was like three girls, one of them being Mary Garrett, um, who were like friends in like Baltimore society prep school land. And then M. Carrie Thomas was like there somehow and they invited her to join. And then um, M. Carrie Thomas met this 17-year-old named Mamie And she was like, you guys, Mamie's really smart. Can she join? And they were like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of them because it's a really good picture that I like a lot. Okay. 
Um, and I'm going to ask you to maybe describe it okay. for our listeners, not him, them. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking at like a sepia-toned photograph of five women who I believe are doing what's called power posing. <laughs> right? Um, there is a sort of grand dame figure in the center seated and she's just like looking straight at the camera making this face that's like, bitch, what? They're all sitting, that's Mary Garrett. Okay, so that's Mary Garrett at the center. Mm -hmm. There are two girls flanking her on either side, standing behind her with their arms crossed. And then there are two girls seated in front of her who are just like looking off to the side like they could not be bothered. (laughs) Um, They look great. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of dykes. Oh, yeah? Um, Yeah. This Mary Garrett, the one in the middle, Mm -hmm. and guys, if you go to the show notes, the picture will be there. Um, Mary Garrett was the richest of them all. Mm -hmm. She was the only daughter of the owner of the B&O Railroad, which was like big money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he had some sons who um, got married. And so she had all these sister-in-laws who were like, only a few years older than her, though mm-hmm. her sons, their her brothers were much older than her, and she was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. And um, this is M. Carrie Thomas. She's the only one wearing black. She is. The others are wearing white. Uh huh. Um, she is like a little different from the rest of them in that she's a little less rich and a little less refined. Mm -hmm. Um, She is sort of described sometimes as bullish or... um, Weren't we all? (laughs) Or like the way she walked was like not right. Yeah, (laughs) been there. Yeah, she was like slightly lower class. Um, She had been to Cornell um, so she's already graduated from Cornell at this point. She's 21. Um, one of the only women to go to Cornell uh-huh. at that point. So she's, like, out of Cornell trying to figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, this little thing, mm-hmm. that's Mamie. Mm-hmm. Um, Mamie's the youngest. She is really into poetry and she's described sometimes as ethereal mm-hmm. or bohemian. Mm-hmm. She is big into free love. They all were. Um, so they all were into free love and very into sort of talking about women's education and like alternate ways to be a woman. Great. Love it. Um, and the Friday evening was essentially their study group. Oh, um, what a great name for a group. Right? They didn't only meet on Fridays, though. They met, like, on fortnights. But I'm okay with it. Yeah, that. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I've read a lot of stuff that's, like, just falling over itself to explain um, romantic friendships and what they are and what they aren't and were they behaving sexually or not and it just, like... It does, I, to me, it doesn't matter that much. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I um, I read, I think, maybe the only book that exists on the Red Rose Girls, 
who are a a group of probably polyamorous uh, writer dykes from around the same time period. And there's this one really beautiful quote that I found in the book, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was just like, um, it doesn't matter whether, like, whether or not they, they were sexually intimate or in what constellations or what they might have done or not. The point is that they loved each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, these women did write, I mean, what we have saved from them is like their writing right mm-hmm. so they did write very amorous letters to each other great um full of kisses and affection mm-hmm. which could have been sexual and couldn't have but i mean i think it was <laughs> personally that's my view but the point is that we want it to be <laughs> the point is they there's something there that like we recognize right mm-hmm. yeah um definitely and so this was them when they were really young. Uh-huh. Um, what wound up happening was like a few little couples formed within that five, as they do. And um, there was there were some like tensions between them and mm-hmm. who's going to be with who the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary wound up with Julia. I don't know if Julia is this one or this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and. M. Carrie Thomas wound up with Mamie. Mm-hmm. Um, but M. Carrie Thomas was also, like, interested in Mary. They had some unresolved stuff. Whoa. So. So it, this is a complicated polycule. Yeah. Yeah. And M. Carrie Thomas, like, she was really ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, she really wanted to get a doctorate. Uh-huh. Um in what she studied, which I kind of forget what it was, maybe English, but that doesn't seem quite right. She uh-huh. she was trying to get, she had to go abroad to get the doctorate. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she wound up trying to figure out how to get to Leipzig to study there. Leipzig. Leipzig. I, I knew you'd know how to say it right. Sorry. No, it's good. It's good. I want to say it right. Leipzig. Leipzig. Um, they actually wound up not... For whatever reason, Mary or M. Carrie Thomas couldn't get her degree there. So then they went to Zurich. Or M. Carrie Thomas got the degree there. Uh-huh. Wrote a dissertation on, like, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight that is, like, still lauded by scholars randomly. Really? Yeah. Um, but the whole time, Mamie was just M. Carrie Thomas's companion. Uh-huh. And just sort of hung out. With M. Carrie Thomas and okay. like kept house and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and eventually they came back to the States after all that. And um, M. Carrie Thomas became the dean at Bryn Mawr College. Okay. Um, M. Carrie Thomas wanted to be the president, did not get that appointment. Wow. It was a big deal because even though women's colleges were, like, a thing, mm-hmm. uh, women didn't run them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the board of trustees was always, like, men. The presidents were always men. Mm-hmm. Usually the deans were men, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that M. Carrie Thomas did do was she, like, she made it her business to, like, 
make Bryn Mawr like the Harvard of women's colleges. Mm-hmm. So she had these like very stringent requirements. Uh-huh. It was like some of the top, the examination to get in was like really hard. <laughs> and um, the sort of class requirements were really hard. Um, and she said that, so at the time, a lot of men's colleges had um like maids come in and clean the boys rooms at Uh the time and not the women's colleges but m carrie thomas had the women had Bryn Mawr have that too because she was like well they need to focus on their studies whoa so it was sort of like a leveling um Uh yeah it's complicated right yeah yeah she refused to have domestic science be on the curriculum at all really yeah um which was a point of contention for many years Mm -hmm. because as we get into like the 1900s the domestic science movement becomes bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and m carrie thomas sees that as not a legitimate form of study and just a way to make women housewives yeah um and other people were saying, well, you need to give housewives an opportunity to study, too. So it's complicated. Very. Yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, Mamie's still with her. And Mamie is like, they had this cottage on campus called the Deanery. <laughs> well, that's a delightful name. Right. And Mamie is like, in the Deanery, she is an English professor. Okay. Um... She's going to everything, like, college events as, you know, M. Carrie Thomas's companion. Uh-huh. And um, she just does, like, the dean's wife thing. Okay. Um, but also she's a professor in her own right. Okay. Um, and, yeah. So that's them. So it seems great. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it seems great. <laughs> <laughs> great for the time? Sure. Well, I, I feel relatively neutral. Neutral about it. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. I have a well, not neutral. Ambivalent. Seemed great to me for the time period. Okay. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, M. Carrie Thomas has not ended her thing with Mary. Remember Mary? No. <laughs> <laughs> Mary is um. Oh, she was the woman at the center of the picture. The rich one. Uh, Moneybags Mary. Moneybags Mary. Uh-huh. Mary was known for, on Wikipedia, it called it coercive philanthropy. Have you heard that term before? I never have. Uh, I haven't heard that term, but I know exactly what it means. What uh, do you think it means? I, it, I, think it, I think it's exactly what it says it is. Yeah, it's, it's like... I will give you this money if you do these things. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what that is. Yeah. And that was Mary's deal. Yeah. Um, because she managed to inherit, like, it's kind of amazing to me that the boys, her brothers, didn't get the railroad fortune all on their own. Mm-hmm. She got a lot of it. Good for her. And her dad always said, Mary should have been a boy because mm. she's the smartest one. Mm. And blah, blah, blah. So he left a bunch of money to Mary. And Mary was like, well, I guess I'm going to use all this money to further women 
women's rights in various, like, ways. Okay. Um, one of the ways she did that was she funded a school. It was called, like, the Bryn Mawr School. Uh-huh. And it was, like, it, like, funneled girls into Bryn Mawr College. It was, like, a high school with very high standards for education for women. And she did that with all of the Friday group. Uh-huh. That was, like, their sort of pet project, the okay. Friday evening. Yeah. She also um, offered to donate Bryn Mawr a whole bunch of money if they made M. Carrie Thomas president. Whoa. And they did. Wow. <laughs> God, that reminds me so much of that awful billionaire monger who just tried to give $200 million to um, UC Santa Barbara in exchange for letting him uh, design their newest dorm with no changes to the architectural plans. Have you heard about this? No. What What did he want to do? He so just wanted to design a dorm? Yeah. And actually... Yeah. I mean, I'd give His it... His name to- is Charles Munger. <laughs> He's a 94-year-old billionaire. Uh-huh. Uh, he is not an architect, but he is a billionaire. Oh, I see the problem here. And he designed... A, like, mega dorm. It would be, like, one of the largest residential buildings in the country. It would be incredible, like, incredibly dense because 94% of the rooms would not have windows. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So the building would, like, put students into, like, these suites of, like, eight tiny bedrooms, which would have fake LED windows in Santa Barbara, one of the most beautiful places in the country. Um, and the building apparently only has something like two entrances and exits for like 4,000 students. Oh my God. <laughs> and the deal is he will give them $200 million if they accept his design with no edits. And, um, an architect who works on like, I guess their normal board of architects who does, who, who plan projects resigned in protest and... It has been making the rounds on the internet uh, recently. Wait, so they took the money? Well, apparently they're already quite far along in the planning process, and, and everyone at UCSB in the admin from the admin side seems to be thrilled about it. There have been like many glowing press releases until this person resigned recently. But a kicker is that Munger did this also with the University of Michigan, and there is a building here called Munger. And many of those rooms do not have windows. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is it known as the awful dorm? I, I don't know because... Yeah, you're I, not really, like, I, involved I, with undergrad stuff. Yeah, God bless not having to do that anymore. <laughs> um, that's what that reminds me of. Course of philanthropy. Course there's, of philanthropy. There's your word of the week. I feel like... So far, I don't feel bad about any of Mary's course of philanthropy. Okay. I feel like she was dealing with a lot of men, and she was like, a woman should be the president. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of get it. I think it's a little less weird than... Sure. I mean, if you're going to throw money around, it, it seems like a fairly worthy cause. Yeah. Yeah. Um... She is. She did do something later. I'll tell you about too. But um, yeah, the other thing Mary 
was involved with was M. Carrie Thomas. Mm. So she and M. Carrie Thomas wrote letters, amorous letters, to each other the whole time that M. Carrie Thomas was with Mamie. Mm-hmm. I I was when before when you were reading and I was like at my computer just like intensely. I was reading this chapter of M. Carrie Thomas's biography that is like really intense and it's all about how much did Mamie know about Mary and what can we deduce about that oh my god I'm exhausted thinking about that (laughs) it was hard to read for that reason because it's like meticulous in its you know trying to name the data but like there's not a lot of data Oh my god. If there are any biographers out there who ever end up writing a biography of our lives, I just want them to know that we were all doing it with each other and <laughs> we all knew about what everyone else was up to. Yeah. And uh, it was really, and, and it was both as fun as you think it is and very boring. Yeah. I mean, I think for them, at least this biography is like, okay, so... Mamie was in on some of it. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, Mamie was in on some of it, but also M. Carrie Thomas did do things behind Mamie's back. For a while, Mamie didn't know anything. Mamie thought they were all just friends. Mm -hmm. And then, at some point, she figured it out. And... She figured out that M. Carrie Thomas was writing letters was writing amorous letters yeah being being lovey with is mary it, wait is m carrie thomas the one who also like really extra hated jewish people yes yeah okay i mean fuck emma carrie thomas i mean right? it kind of seems like contracts yeah yeah and also um they they had this they made up they like had this situation for a while where mamie was pretty aware um, and, like, they had these sort of protocols, like, boundaries. Like, they had these protocols, like, mm-hmm. and, and Carrie Thomas would have Mamie invite Mary over to the deanery, like, as opposed to inviting Mary herself, because it just, it was more polite to Mamie in M. Carrie Thomas's mind to have, this was after Mamie knew, and, like, Mamie even entertained Mary sometimes without M. Carrie Thomas um, at the deanery. And then what wound up happening, and this happened over many years, so there were like three phases. Phase one is Mamie doesn't know. Phase two is Mamie knows but is somewhat cool with it as long as M. Carrie Thomas plays by her rules, which are like, I just want to be aware of things and also, like, don't go traveling with Mary without me because I am your, like, primary companion. And then, and Carrie Thomas goes traveling with Mary without Mamie. And Mamie finds out. I, I don't like that at all. I know. And, like, this, this scandal is very sad to me, like, because... It's so messy, and, I mean, they had a marriage for many, many years, basically. Yeah. And, and Carrie Thomas really fucked it up, and 
um, and maybe was like with M. Carrie Thomas for a few more years after that because she sort of like didn't know how to extract herself at that point. Yeah. Like she, M. Carrie Thomas was her boss. Yeah. And oh my God. Yeah. Don't date your coworkers. <laughs> don't date your coworkers. Don't date people who hate Jews. Yeah, definitely don't do that. Definitely yeah. don't do that. And like, also like, so she was kind of financially dependent on M. Carrie Thomas, oh. and so she was. She just like didn't want to go move in with her mom because that would have been the other option at that point. Like she couldn't live alone. Really, I feel like deeply nauseated for this whole situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mary, I I kind of respect Mary in a way. Um <laughs> like I don't I don't know how I don't know. I don't know how much Mary knew about all of the intricacies between the other two. But maybe that's just me putting stuff on Mary that wasn't there. Maybe. <laughs> um, so that was the sitch. And then also, Mamie's mom got real sick. Oh, God. <laughs> and Mamie had to go, like, spend whole summers uh-huh. with her mom. And, like, at that point, it was, like, pretty... Mary would just come, like, when Mamie was not there. Oh. So for a while, that was, like, all consensual, like, between the three of them. But, like, maybe did not want Mary coming for the summer. And, like... Yeah. So it was rough. Yeah. Enter Arnold. No. <laughs> I hate this part, but also look at this guy. Well, he looks like a lesbian. I'm looking at a photo of him. He's got... Honestly, one of the pointiest chins I've ever seen and a beautiful bow tie and, like, beautiful hair that's parted in the center and a, a, a very large forehead. All of his facial features are huge, like, his whole... That's true. Like, he has, like, a small head, but all the features on it, like, take up a lot of space. Like, his mouth is massive. Would you... Be- so, do you buy it that he was known as the Byron of Bryn Mawr? I don't know anything about Byron. Byron is a playboy. That's like his deal. Oh, yeah. This guy looks like he fucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he... Honestly, it's probably one of the sexiest looking gazes in a photo from 1890 I've ever seen. He like kind of like almost looks like he's smirking, which I don't know that I've ever seen in a photo taken at this time. I mean, it's weirdly... It's really intense. Y'all go to the show notes. This will be there too. He's doing real come hither eyes. He is. It's 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 a lot. I mean, because you had to sit in front of a photograph for a while for them to take the shot. So you would have had to do those come hither eyes mm-hmm. consistently for several minutes. So his name was Alfred Leroy Hodder? Yes. Alfred Hodder. Alfred Hodder. Yeah. Not Hotter. H-O-D-D-E-R. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> he was a professor of English. Mm-hmm. He was recommended to M. Carrie Thomas mm-hmm. um, by, like, someone who was a mutual friend. He was, like, a Harvard grad. I don't know. But his sort of backstory is that he was with this woman named Jessie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm going to find it. Okay. Basically, Je so there's this woman named Jessie Hodder. She lives as his wife. Uh-huh. They never formally got married. Okay. Um, Jesse met him while he was visiting his dying wife, Olive. His actual wife. His actual wife, Olive, who then subsequently died. Uh-huh. And then he and Jesse start messing around. Jesse is an accomplished pianist. And they travel around Europe uh, where Jesse plays concert piano. Huh. And they, like, have kids together. And they settle somewhere in Germany where um, they settle at, as Mr. and Mrs. Hodder. Mm -hmm. So they have a girl. They name the girl Olive after uh, Alfred's former wife, Olive, who died. Uh -huh. <laughs> Which is a choice. Uh -huh. And, um... And then when Alfred gets the position at Bryn Mawr, they Jesse shows up like a little while later and moves to Rosemont, which is nearby, and they have a son. So that's all fine, except that Mamie is really into Alfred. Mm. And like Alfred offers Mamie this like kind of an out. Yeah. Into his situation. Yeah, which isn't really it's an It's not out. a very good out. I know. And also, like, another thing about Mamie is that, like, she's, she, she loves M. Carrie Thomas. But, like, from the beginning, she says to M. Carrie Thomas, I love you dearly more than anyone else, but I do not love you all that I can love. Well, <laughs> that is honest. It is very straightforward. And she sort of brings that up later when things go sour. I would not date someone who said that to me. I would not date someone seriously who said that to me. <laughs> Maybe a hookup, but like... <laughs> yeah, I would not like f spend a life with somebody who was like, I could love someone more than you. like, And I need you to know that. And yeah, I'm holding back. Yeah. Just straight up, I'm holding yeah. back. And it's just really important that we... Establish yeah, that. we have me say that to you. <laughs> yeah. There was like a part of her that was always unfulfilled at the deanery. Because she really liked travel and poetry and art and she just wanted to do that stuff uh -huh. and M. Carrie Thomas was like a workaholic who like really really wanted to do the work that she was doing okay um so I think Alfred was also like I imagine a smooth talker and they were both English professors so they got to talk about all their poetry and stuff like that uh-huh um and so does she she gets with alfred mm -hmm. um it is like a known thing around brynmar it is very upsetting to jesse who is his wife who <laughs> just had a baby boy um and also very upsetting to m carrie thomas who's like what the fuck and then Mamie pretty much says like they have a letter of her saying i'm paraphrasing she said this in older english but like sure 
what do you mean? Like, you're known for being with Mary Garrett. Everyone knows that you and Mary are a thing. Like, how dare you? Whoa. Um, and so everything sort of combusted. And basically, Alfred resigned. Um, and he was like, he went to Jesse and he was like, look, I've cut off things with Mamie. I'm going to be true to you. Let's all go back to Germany and have, like, a normal family life. You guys go first. I'll I'll be there soon. Oh, no. Yeah. Is what I think. Oh, no. I nodded. Yeah, it's real bad. It's real bad. So, his wife goes back to Germany with the kids. Alfred, instead of going... Wait, with his children... Olive named after his dead first wife and his new boy baby. Yes. Back to Germany. And what year is this? We are now in 1904. Not a great time to be emigrating to Germany. No, and like, not a great time to be without a husband, really. Yeah, just, no. Yeah, it's yes. just a rough sitch for yeah. her. Uh-huh. Um, Alfred goes to New York. Mm-hmm. And becomes a well-known muckraker (laughs) who, like, takes down Tammany Hall in, like, newspaper columns. Uh Uh-huh. And (laughs) Mamie goes and visits New York a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually, Mamie marries Alfred. (whistles) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No heroes in this story. Yeah, folks. it's really messy. M. Carrie Thomas like wrote in her diary like Mamie married Alfred. Period. That was like the entry that day. Whoa. Uh, it like really messed up M. Carrie Thomas for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I bet it. Did. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mary was like, "You want me to move in?" Because like Mary's like on the side. Yeah. Funding. A lot of M. Carrie Thomas's stuff. Whoa. And like seeing M. Carrie Thomas like in summers and could never be like the primary because like M. Carrie Thomas. Yeah, hierarchical polyamory is a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's what happened with Mary, is Mary just moved in. Uh <laughs> and then what happened was that. Poor Jesse in Germany loses Olive to Scarlet Fever. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh-huh. And she's just so fucked up. She's considering suicide. She's destitute. She uh-huh. doesn't have any money. Yeah. Um, she just lost her daughter. A friend gives her the money to get come back to America uh-huh. to like get her fucking husband. Uh-huh. She shows up in America with her little boy, finds out that Alfred has married Mamie, and sues him for bigamy. Whoa. So there's about to be this huge bigamy trial uh-huh. with a famous muckraker. <laughs> uh-huh. And this dean of Bryn Mawr College, which is like a very fancy college, yeah. is going to be involved. Yeah. Mamie is, like, balls to the wall, all for Alfred. Like, doubling down on Alfred love. And she is prepared to testify that um, 
M. Carey Thomas married Alfred knowing that he was not married to Jesse. Uh-huh. Because ultimately what Mamie wants is to clear Alfred of the bigamy charge. Uh-huh. And the fact that it's a common law marriage makes it really complicated. Uh-huh. Because, like, it's just going to be looked down on that they never, like, got the ring, etc. Uh-huh. Um, although they could prove common law marriage, right? Uh-huh. Um, so this trial is building and building. M. Carrie Thomas is losing her shit because she's like, this is going to make me look really bad. This is going to make the college look really bad. And yeah. also, this is like a major betrayal from my ex-wife. Yeah. And Jesse's like, I just want some money. She also was suing for child support. Yeah. Um, I, I can imagine why. Yeah. Um, and a week before the trial starts, Alfred dies. Oh, shit. Yeah. Now, Wikipedia says Uh that he died, in two separate articles, Wikipedia says that he died mysteriously in jail. Uh Uh-huh. Which implies foul play pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. The books I read Mm -hmm. don't indicate that. Uh Uh-huh. They say that he had all these gastric problems. He died of some kind of dead gastric thing. Um... And he was a heavy drinker, mm-hmm. and it makes sense that he died. And they don't, like, spend any time on it. Okay. So there's, like, some source out there that thinks it's foul play. The internet. <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Say. Like, I have to, like, track down that source, maybe? I don't know. Okay. I mean, it would be amazing if it was. Like, if, if M. Carrie Thomas just, like, took out a hit on him. Yeah. But I don't think that's what happened. Okay. Um, so he dies. He dies. And that's the end of the scandal. What happened to those To women? all the people? Should we do a where, where are they now? I where mean, were they for the rest of their lives? If you have some, if you can I tell do. me. I do. If you'd like to do that. Gertrude Stein wrote about the scandal in a novel. Um, Which novel? Um, it was called Fernhurst, colon, The History of Philip Redfern, comma, A Student of, nat- of the Nature of Women. It was published posthumously. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I sort of want to read it. Yeah, you um, should. Have you ever read Gertrude Stein? No, never. She's great. Yeah. She also, like, expanded Wait, you it. you haven't read Autobiography of Alice B. Toklas? No, you've told me about it so many times. Oh my God, I'm so <laughs> mad at you right now. I am so mad at you. <laughs> I have to read it. It is. I'm going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, she wrote something called The Making of Americans, which also had some stuff from that book in it. So I feel like this Fernhurst book never really took off. Okay. Anyway. And she drawered it, but it is fully about these people. Oh, okay. It's just fictionalized. Uh-huh. Um, but it, there's a prof- amorous professor, there's uh-huh. a dean who's with this other lady. It's yeah. just like this whole oh, story. Uh, yeah. Great. So anyways... Where they wound up. So Mary and M. Carrie Thomas live together for the rest of Mary's life. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary converts the deanery, which was a charming five-room Victorian cottage, mm-hmm. into a 40-room mansion. <laughs> right? Okay. Because she's not going to live in a cottage. She's Mary fucking Garrett. 
Okay. <laughs> Daughter of the Railroad. Mary Garrett also does something else really interesting, which is that she donates an insane sum of money for the time to the John Hopkins Medical School. And basically, John Hopkins was a school, but they were trying to make a medical school. Mm -hmm. And medicine at the time was like kind of an in-between profession. Yeah. Like doctors weren't that great. Like some of them were, but like... It, okay. it wasn't a respected profession, huh. or it was just beginning to be. Uh-huh. And there were a lot of medical schools where, like, you didn't need a lot to get through them. Mm-hmm. It's not like today. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Garrett at one point tried to go to John Hopkins or, like, take some classes there or something, and they were like, you can't, you're a woman. Mm-hmm. So when they tried to make a medical school, they, like, had a hundred grand. And they needed, like, 300 grand more. And Mary was like, okay, coercive philanthropy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will give you three, 300 grand under the following conditions. And there are six. You want to hear them? Yeah, I definitely do. You're, you look so excited to tell me. Yeah, I am. <laughs> well, because I think it's amazing that she had that, this kind of power. Okay. So... The first thing, she insisted that a women's fund memorial building be built in memory of women who contributed to higher education. Wow. She said women had to enjoy all the advantages on the same terms as men, as well as all prizes, dignities, or honors that were afforded to male students. Third, she added the date when the trustees of John Hopkins agreed to accept female students to the school calendar. Wow. Um, fourth, she insisted that the medical school be exclusively a graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that they had to provide a four-year course leading to the doctor of medicine. So basically, mm-hmm. people had to take a lot of classes. Yeah. And she established rig- rigorous academic standards. The student had to also study foreign languages, i.e. French and German. Wow. And finally, she required students should pass examinations based on the medical courses and studies in order to receive their degrees. To make sure that you have a French and German speaking doctor. <laughs> That's my number one. Yeah. Y'all have to speak German. Yeah. I mean, it's like she was like, I feel like those are the, the requirements of someone who has bur- been burned in philanthropy before. Sure. But did they take the money? They took the money. They did all the things. Wow. Good for her. Good for Johns Hopkins. Yeah. So she did something good there, I think. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what happened to the other people? Okay. Um, Alfred, as we know, died. Yeah, he's dead. Still dead. Mamie devoted herself to her late husband and took up all his causes and tried to, like, exonerate his name and then sort of lived as a recluse, which I hate for her. Um, but that's, that's, that's what she did. Um... Jesse became a prison reformer. Well, that that was not what I was expecting. Yeah, she so basically right after the whole thing happened, she still needed money because she didn't get the money from Alfred right. cuz he died, motherfucker. So she got a, a job as a counselor at Mass General Hospital. Mm-hmm. She was a counselor for unwed mothers mm-hmm. and like 
people with like two kinds of psychiatric other kinds of psychiatric illnesses which they classified unwed mothers as uh-huh. you know yep. psychiatric illness and basically she set these guidelines for the treatment of unwed mothers there wow she said the father should be sued for support but not forced into marriage uh-huh and that the mother should be helped to keep the child well so the barest minimum but like that was a step then Way to turn it around, Jesse. And also, after that, she did so good at Mass General that she was appointed at this prison. It was the Massachusetts Prison and Reformatory for Women. Uh-huh. Um, and she did all these things there. She unblocked the prison cell windows to views of the meadows. Um, you know who would have hated that? Charles Munger. Yeah. <laughs> you would yeah, she took prison out of the institution's name. Mm-hmm. She built a gym. Um, she, the big thing was she developed labor and education programs so the inmates could be taught skills. Okay, so she was not a prison abolitionist. No. She just wanted prison to be nicer. She wanted the women to move on and not be stuck in the prison system for their whole lives. I think for the time, she was pretty, like... Not radical, but, like... Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, no, she was not, like, abolish all prisons. Okay. <laughs> she, was still a, she was still a relatively privileged lady, despite all of her many struggles. All right, no heroes here. No heroes anywhere. But that's the scandal. I really do want to... I just love the idea so much of the Friday evening. And, like... These little 20-somethings being, like, just exploring each other and themselves. And, <laughs> in like, in, like, the 1870s or whatever, you know? Uh-huh. And I want to learn a lot more about them. And it's mm-hmm. interesting how they wound up, but, like, kind of like them then better. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Do you want to do something I learned this week? One thing that I learned this week that was really fun um, was that I learned about Arnold Stang. Tell the people about Arnold Stang. Okay. Arnold Stang <laughs> was a, um, I guess you could call him a comedian. And um, he actually died, like, not that long ago, like, 10 years ago. But he was born in, like, the uh, 19- 1910s, uh, thereabouts. And he was, like, a very small, like, um, very uh, uh, little guy. Yeah, he was a little guy. He was a very little guy. And would you say he was a professional little guy? I would say he was a professional <laughs> little guy. Like, his face is, like, 90% eyebrows <laughs> and gigantic glasses. And he did a lot of... I mean, he was a character actor and personality. Um, and one particular thing that he was famous for was he did a... a an incredibly long series of commercials for the chocolate bar Chunky. <laughs> Which my dad loves. And so my with, dad loves the Chunky. I the the only time I only know about Chunkies because they were featured on an episode of Frasier once that I happened to catch when I was a kid. But a chunky bar I also learned this week has 
cashews, Brazil nuts, and sun-ripened raisins in it. Uh, because I watched all of the chunky commercials that this man Arnold Stang filmed, and his his tagline in every single chunky commercial he appeared in was at the very end of the episode, he would look straight in the camera and he'd go, Chunky, what a chunk of chocolate. <laughs> you did that so good. And um, I was delighted. <laughs> Absolutely delighted. Honestly, I don't know why more people don't eat chunky bars. Like, I don't know why that's not in the normal rotation because it is fucking good. I think it's because raisins are very um, controversial. Mm. I would say it's a raisin. It's a raisin issue. Yeah. 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 I, I wonder if it was bigger then. I don't, I guess, I guess so. I don't know. Raisins aren't as exciting. It's like nougat or peanut butter or caramel. Yeah, but that's why it tastes so different. Guys, Val's eyes right now are as big as her head. We gotta get this kid a chunky bar. What a chunk of chocolate. What a ch- <laughs> chunky. What a chunk of chocolate. He just has this real thick Brooklyn accent. And uh, if you've never looked up a chunky commercial with Arnold Stang, I urge you to look into this delightful moment in American pop culture. Thank you so much. This was a really good something I learned this week. You are so welcome. I'm so glad I learned it too. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show, even when I know you're sleepy. I'm very sleepy, and I'm so glad I could do this with you. I'm so glad I learned about these messy messy women they're so messy they are i wish they were i wish they were impeccable because i want to love them no i love i love a messy queer yeah (laughs) this is how it's been since time immemorial and this is how it's always gonna be it's just gonna be people making bad choices uh but fuck alfred hotter yeah well i would sure would you just listened to research hole i'm bell howlett uh our 